is Easter Sunday, and I'm excited about that. And, uh, you, you know, a lot of uh, preachers and a lot of churches, this is like Super Bowl for them, right? They've got Christmas and they've got Easter, and, and this is the big show. So welcome to the big show. That's right. And we've got to remember, and I think as, as preachers, as pastors, we have to remember that this big show isn't about Allegan Bible Church. It's not about, you know, First Baptist Church. It's not about Merson Church. It's not about any of the other churches. It's not about those pastors. It sure isn't about me. Big Sunday is about Jesus, right? That's what it's about. And really, and really, if we're honest, every Sunday is Big Sunday because Jesus is still alive. Uh, that's why we're here. That's what Easter is, right? He, he died, but he was, he was raised. And so every single Sunday is Big Sunday, if you think about it. Um, and so today, as it is Easter Sunday, uh, you might guess what we're going to talk about. And you'd kind of, pr- you'd probably be right, um, but I want to tell you a story. And uh, I think of any good story, it always has a happy ending, right? Well, generally. Generally, otherwise, it's kind of, well, it's a story, but it wasn't a good story. So a good story usually has a happy ending. And I think uh, what makes a good story with a happy ending an even better story is if it's a true story. And I think the best story of all is a good story with a happy ending that's a true story that actually teaches us something even about ourselves. And so that's the story that I hope to share with you today. A good story with a happy ending, which is a true story that can teach us something about us. So yes, it's Easter. And you guessed it, I want to talk about a resurrection. But here's the curveball, not Jesus's. I want to talk about a resurrection that actually happened before his. And so today, I'm going to take you to John chapter 11. We're going to talk about this life giver. But before we go there, so as you're turning to John chapter 11, as we're going to cover that today, I do want to start out with something very clear. The Bible teaches this. The Bible teaches that God, before anything else, created all things, and he created things by his spoken word. The Bible also teaches that he created mankind, male and female, he created them for a very special purpose, and that's to have a relationship with him and to be over his creation. Scripture tells us that uh, in the garden, you you maybe know the story, but he tells us that in the garden he gave us one rule, and that's not to eat from uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we chose to do that. Adam and Eve chose to do that, and so because of that, sin nature from Adam and Eve through us has, has permeated all of human history, and so every single person you've ever met, every single person you will ever meet, yes, even yourself included, we are all sinners. The Bible is very clear about that. I am a sinner, you are a sinner, and that is a big problem because God is perfect and holy and righteous. He cannot have anything to do with sin. And so we saw that in the garden where he cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. He said, you can't be with me. And then that brings us all through the Old Testament where this Jesus has been prophesied to come. And now on the outside of that, in the New Testament era, right, Jesus has come. And why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus came to fulfill the perfect obedience that we did not, we could not. And so the Bible talks about that he was the second Adam. There's the first Adam who screwed it up for all of us, right? And we screwed up for ourselves. Plenty good enough. I I know I do. Um, But Jesus came to take our punishment because sin deserves punishment. So the Bible says that Jesus came to take our sin, take our punishment on the cross, and that the punishment of that sin is death. And so he was for a time... Not only did he die, but he was separated from his unity with God because of our sin. And then the Bible says three days later, he was resurrected from the dead. And, and what, that, what that is a proof of is that his sacrifice 
was sufficient. So if you think about a courtroom and all of us were standing before God and we were before God and he said, hey, you're guilty of this crime, this crime, and this crime. And somebody else came in and said, hey, yes, they're guilty of that crime, but I want to take their sentence on their behalf. And he did that. And then we could go free and our, and our, our, our documents would be expunged. We would no longer be guilty. Somebody else would take the punishment for us. And you might be here this morning saying, well, that doesn't sound fair. Well, you're right. It's not fair. What's fair is that we would have had to suffer for our own sins, but because God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And what I've just told you is what referred to in scripture as the gospel, because that is good news. The good news is you were guilty and you were going to go to hell, but Jesus took the place for you. And if you put your hope and your trust in that, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his righteousness to be given to you, the Bible says that you will be saved. Now that's the gospel. And I had to make sure we talk about that. If you hear nothing else, because I understand you're thinking about grandma's casserole. You're thinking about the kids down in junior church. You're wondering how long this long-winded windbag is going to go. So if you hear nothing else for the rest of today, you need to hear that that is the gospel. And the way that you receive that is very simple. The way that you receive that is you acknowledge that he is God, that he died for you in your place, that you deserve that punishment, but he took it. And you just simply receive it like a gift. You put your hope and your trust and your faith in that. And the Bible says you will be saved. Are you ready for the real message or the, 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 the message that I have? That's the real message. And, 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 and this is the, the, the subplot of that, okay? Are we ready for that? Let's, let's pray before we get into John 11, 1 through 4, 44. Lord, we are about to hear a story, which is a true story about you. Who you are, what you've done. You have told us that you are the Lord and the giver of life. And that's what we need. We praise you because you are the creator and sustainer of all things. Father, we confess that we are dead in our sins. Jesus, we need your life. We need your death, and we most definitely need your resurrection. Spirit, we need your renewal and your abiding presence. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our place and our punishment upon yourself, and for offering us your righteousness in return. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your spirit to dwell within us and give us new life. Lord, as we gather before you today, speak to us, we pray. Teach us, encourage us. May our praise be to you, O Lord and giver of life. Amen. So as you hopefully found your way to John 11, if you didn't, don't worry, I'm going to have some of the scripture uh, on the screen for you so you can follow along that way too. And if you're a note taker, uh, again, if you're new, you wouldn't notice, we do have sheets with notes, you can fill that out. And uh, I also, I try to make them all uh, start with the same letter just because that's fun. Uh, towards the end, you'll see I, I ran out of ideas. So if you happen to like uh, alliteration too, then maybe you can tell me afterwards, you can tell me what I should have written instead. That's, that's fine. I'm, I'm open to your, your correction. So the first thing I want to share with you about this section of scripture is we have a problem. And the fact of the matter is you have a problem too. And in this uh, section, uh, here's what the problem says at John 11.1. 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village uh, of Mary and her sister Martha. So what's the problem? Should be pretty obvious, right? There's a certain man who was sick. And so we have people introduced in the story. These are going to be the main characters of today's story. You've got Mary and Martha and Lazarus, right? Lazarus is the one who's sick. You've got Jesus, kind of implied in the text, or at least you'll know that in the first 
in the, in the first little bit here. And then you have the disciples too, which you're going to see as, you, as we read through this. So the problem is there is a sick man in Bethany who's the brother of Mary and Martha, okay? And then we have the plea that they give, which is part of this problem. And it's kind of implied here too, but they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, come heal him. That's why this is recorded. So Jesus was somewhere else, the scripture tells us, and these sent uh, like a servant or a messenger to Jesus, and they told him about this for the purpose of saying, Jesus, we need you to come, and we need you to heal this person because he's sick, okay? And then Jesus is going to tell them what the purpose of this whole thing was. The purpose, Jesus heard of it. He said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. That's the reason for the problem, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then scripture tells us also, um, I'm sorry, scripture tells us that this is for the glory of God. Now, let's apply this first section, the problem to us personally, right? Because that's the first setting here. We've got a problem. We've got a sick guy. Jesus, come heal him. Uh, Jesus said, this is for the God's glory. Let me ask you a question. If your marriage is on the rocks, is that for God's glory? Now, these are rhetorical questions. I don't want to put anybody on the spot this morning. If your marriage is on the rocks, is that for God's glory? If your children are walking as prodigals, is that for God's glory? If you have been diagnosed with a deadly illness, is that for God's glory? If you find your finances sometimes insufficient, is that for God's glory? So I guess what I'm saying this morning is, if you are lost or hurting or broken, is that for God's glory? Because that's the problem. We're not that different from Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We, we tend to sometimes think of people in the Bible in a couple different ways. We either tend to read stories in the Bible and we think about those people, man, what an idiot, what a jerk, I would never do that. Or we tend to think of people in the Bible as, oh my gosh, what a saint, I could never be like that. All of these are real people with real hearts just like ours. And so I want you to think about this for a minute. This is the same kind of problem that you might be having this morning. And you're sending up things to Jesus and you're saying, we need you to heal this. And Jesus' response is this isn't going to end in death and it's actually going to be for the glory of God. And he says, so that the Son of God might actually be glorified through it. So we need to see the problem here as one that we can relate to. In verse 3 of this same chapter, the sisters sent him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Don't let, don't let that be lost on you either. You see, sometimes when we're in these problems, we tend to think that he doesn't love us. But that's not the case. Just because we have a problem doesn't mean his love has lost any of its power or its affection or its purpose in our lives. John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So firstly, what we see here in the text is a problem. There is a sick man in Bethany. And now Jesus says, now here's the interesting thing. I'm going to pose a question to you. And I'm just going to let it be there. Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death. Was he wrong or was he lying? 
or do we just uh, need to understand better? I think you might know where I stand. Here's the pause. Because we don't expect this, really, or at least we don't like this, maybe, if we're honest. So the first one was the problem. The second point here, if you're filling out notes, is here's the pause. And we see that in, in uh, 11, 5 through 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha. Again, there it is, right? The, the one who you love is ill. Jesus, come heal him. And then it says here in 5 through 6, and I want you to understand, and, 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 and here's a big theme. You, you may pick up on this, but I'm going to just give it to you for free. All throughout this, we're going to see time and time again Jesus' love for these folks, okay? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so all of them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Can you believe that? This is not how I would write the story. And this is not what I would do. And this isn't what you and what I want Jesus to do, is it? But you know, somehow Jesus' ways are higher than our ways. And he has more wisdom than we do. And this is not what I would expect. This is not what we would want. This is not for sure what Mary and Martha wants. Think about that. They sent somebody specifically to tell him, Lord, the one you love is ill. Come and heal him. And he hears this and he says, it's not going to end in death. This is going to be for glory. And then he sits and waits two days. And you have to understand also, and this is huge, you have to understand that the author of this text, inspired by the Holy Spirit, primes our pump of Jesus' pause by saying, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then you've got this connecting word. So because he loved them, when he heard that he was ill, he just sat there for another two days. And we're like, what? But we have to understand that our plan isn't always God's plan. And so you have this pause, but Jesus has a plan. And he kind of showed something about that, but his plan was always to go. He says, then after he had said this to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews who are just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And so Jesus' plan was that he was going to go. So don't misunderstand Jesus' pause for his lack of activity, for his lack of action, okay? And again, if we think of our own problems, Sometimes we think, okay, well, just because it's not being fixed right now, is he ever going to do anything? And so it's important that we go through texts like this. After he said to his disciples, let us go, he was always his plan to go. He was just waiting two days. And I want you to also see here that Jesus knew. And, and by the way, that's, that's why we're talking about this this Easter. I don't know how well you know Bible history or the timelines of all these things, but the, but the timeline of all this goes like this. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, Lazarus, this illness does not end in death for Lazarus. Jesus was right. Go figure. Uh, but, but then what happens then is, is after this, then he's, he's on his way. He, he has the feast with, the, with the, uh, the apostles in the upper room. He's betrayed by Judas. And then it's the Palm Sunday thing where he's entering in. And they're seeking to kill Jesus partially because of the miracle that we're going to witness in the text today. And then that leads him to his crucifixion. And so I want for you to see something else here. I want for you to see that Jesus' plan is always to go and to help, and here's the big thing. Jesus' plan is to go and to help even at the detriment of himself. Do you see that in the text here? 
They tell him, look, these people want to stone you. They're seeking to kill you. And are you going to go there again? And Jesus is like, yeah, because I love Lazarus. (laughs) So, yes. That's what Easter is about. Jesus came in the face of death because he loves you. And so we might think our biggest problem is that our, that our marriage is on the rocks, or we might think our biggest problem is our finances. We might think our biggest problem is our, our children are living prodigally, or we might think the biggest problem is our, is our diagnosis. We might think uh, anything else in our lives might be a really big problem, and, and I'm not here to, to minimize that or to, 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 to be hard-hearted towards you. I know that suffering is real. I know that sadness is real. I, I know that those things can cause us deep deep distress. And as somebody who, who struggles with depression just throughout my life, like I get that. But what scripture tells us and is true is that our biggest problem isn't those things, it's sin. And Jesus came with a plan at the perfect time to take care of that. And he knew his plan was always safety in God's will because he tells us in John 10 that no one takes his life from him. He lays it down on his own account and he has authority to lay it down. He has authority to take it up again. Remember, that's John 10. We're in John 11. And so they said, hey, they're going to kill you. And he's like, yeah, so? And I'll be with you after three days. It's cool, man. Like, just, just trust me is what he's always saying. So Jesus delayed for the good of those who would see, who those who would hear, those who would believe. Do you get that now in the text? He says, this is for God's glory. He knew he was safe in the protection of the Father. He says in, now if you have a copy of God's word, this is where you're going to have to look there and not up here. But in John 11, 9 through 10, he tells us that the safest place for any of us to be, himself included, is in the will of God. He says, this is the idea of walking during the light. You don't stumble uh, at light time. Some of us maybe do because we're, we're klutzes, right? But for the most of us, we're, we're less likely, obviously, to stumble during the light because we can see. And he talks about... Um, how he's in the Father's will, and it made me think of that hymn, you know, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All every, everything else is sinking stand. And, and so then he makes this prediction, and, and he says, listen, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go to waken him. And, and the, uh, the disciples, they didn't know what I was talking about, so they were like, oh, well, he's going to be fine. He's like, no, 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 listen, guys. Lazarus has died. Talk about a problem. Now, if we didn't know how all, and, and maybe you don't know, but if, if you don't know how this all ends and, and what happens here, we, I mean, this is the end of the story, right? Things went from bad to worse. First he was just sick, now he's dead. And then Jesus tells us a little bit about his power in this next verse. He says, and for your sake, now he's talking to the disciples, but also this is recorded for us. But for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Are you kidding? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Jesus was undeterred by the threats, undeterred by Lazarus' death. He's still going. And in fact, not only is he going, he is glad for the opportunity to act. You know, like I said, uh, my timing's not always God's timing. Is that true for you? Is that just me? In fact, if I'm really honest, my timing is actually rarely God's timing. 
And this can tempt us to not trust God's goodness. This can tempt us to not trust God's plan. This can tempt us to not trust God's justice or his righteousness or, or his love, in fact. This can tempt us to not trust his word. But it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and yet he waited. Brother, sister, friend, I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not minimizing your problem with his pausing. 2 Peter 3.9, For the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we've covered the problem. We've covered the pause. And thirdly, then, I want to talk to you about this promise. So the problem, just to recap, Lazarus is dead, um, really dead. In fact, Without question, dead. And if you want to know for sure, um, they said that uh, now when Jesus came, they found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So apparently, now we have to think about this because you're like, well, how, how, how is this possible? Well, you got to remember, they didn't have cars, okay? They don't have instant messaging or email or any of those things. So Lazarus was sick. They sent this dude to go tell Jesus. So he gets on donkey or horse, if he's, if he's got enough money, or he just walks. And he finally gets there, and then he tells him, hey, Lazarus is ill. And then, of course, we know, and then Jesus waits there for two days. And then however long it takes, and again, Jesus doesn't like, and he's there. He walks. He could, but he's got apostles to come with him, right? So he's just, he's gracious. So he brings his apostles with him on foot, and they walk there. And then the text tells us, by the time they get there, this dude's been in the tomb for four days. He's been dead a while. They wrap him up in linen cloths. They wrap him up with spices. They do the best thing that they can. So I want you to think now about you and your problem. Your problem is without question a problem. Just like this is without question a dead man. And so as, as we look at this, promise. We see the problem, and we also see the plea from Martha, who said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't that why we sent you that guy in the first place? Can you imagine how, can you imagine how upset she would be right now if she knew that he, he waited purposefully for two days? This is probably something he shared with her at the end of this story. Because then it's like, oh, okay, it's fine. This was her expectation, wasn't it? This was her hope. This was her plea. This is our plea. This is your plea. This is my plea. If you would have only been here, then he wouldn't have died. If you had only been here, then this wouldn't have happened. If you had only been here, then I wouldn't have to suffer that. If you had only been here... She, right now, thinks Jesus dropped the ball. How about us, though? And so then Jesus tells her this promise. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, this is not strange to Martha. 
because in, in, in Judaism, they understood the afterlife. They understood the, the final judgment, but she misunderstood it because she responds, yes, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And so again, uh, he, has to, he has to correct her. He corrects her understanding in these next two verses. Then, and maybe you've heard them somewhere, and I believe they're some of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the ultimate promise from Jesus. Again, this is why we're here this morning. This is why Jesus not only came to Bethany, to Lazarus, but to all of humanity. This is why Jesus has come to you. This is what I believe. Is this what you believe? You see, sometimes our problems and our perception of his pause, which we chalk up to, if we're honest, careless procrastination on his part, can seem at odds. And so we actually become unsatisfied with his promise. Because of our problems, because of the pause that we experience, his promise, believe this or not, his promise becomes not enough. Because we begin to doubt that he even really cares. We're tempted to believe what Satan says. And Satan says that Christ does not care. Satan says that Christ is cold, that he's callous. Satan blinds our eyes, stops our ears to hear what God is doing. Satan tells us that if Jesus really loved you, then he would have never let this happen to you. Or that if he really loved you, he would stop it now and today. That's what Satan says. But this is the same lie that he told in the garden. It's the same one he told to Adam and Eve, which in essence, the lie that he told to Adam and Eve is, God's keeping this from you. He's given you all this other stuff, and why is he keeping this from you? God must not like you, and that's why he's keeping this one tree from you. So we see the problem, we see the pause, we see the promise. Fourthly, then, we need to understand the person because that's who Satan's lying to us about. This is who we're here to talk about is Jesus, right? This is what the show is all about. And so we need to understand this person. And the first thing about this person is, is other people's profession of who he is. We see Martha's in John eleven twenty seven. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. She professes that he is the Messiah with her mouth, at least. She professes that he is the son of God with her mouth, at least. She professes that the scripture has prophesied about him coming. Mary also has a, a similar profession. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Are you noticing a theme with these, with these believers? Mary professes his authority, and we see that because when she comes, she falls at his feet in a worshipful fashion. Mary professes his wisdom. Uh, you, you wouldn't necessarily know that from here, but she, before she comes, she calls him teacher. They refer to him as the teacher. Mary professes his worth as she calls him Lord. Matthew, Mark, Luke, all of these disciples, Jesus asked them earlier, who do you say that I am? And that matters. It doesn't matter who I say that he is. In fact, if we're being real, real honest and real truthful with each other, I get paid 
to tell you what I believe about Jesus. So what matters is what do you believe about Jesus? They believe that he is the Messiah. They believe that he is powerful. They believe that if he would have been there, something could have happened. They believe that he is actually the Lord and the coming one and that he's worthy of worship. But they also, if they're honest, they believe that he dropped the ball here. So the question is not only who do you profess that he is, who is Jesus when you're hurting? When the rubber meets the road, who is Jesus? I want you to see the personality of Jesus in 11, uh, 20 through 21. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said, Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The personality of Martha is the personality that we should have. She sought him because she knew that he could help. She recognized his authority, his ability, his power to help. Mary was similar. When she had heard this, uh, she went and called to her sister. So Martha called to her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. There it is. And when she heard it, she rose up quickly and went. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You need to understand in this text here, the one previous to that, that as soon as she heard that Jesus was calling for her, she immediately went to him. And then when she came, like I touched on already, she worshipped at his feet. And so that is the personality of the profession of those who believe. And I want to show you the passion with which Jesus has for them and for us. When Jesus saw her weeping, because that's what they did, they ran to him. She fell at his feet weeping. When Jesus saw her weeping and Jesus who had come with her also weeping. So they're all there. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You know, there's another part in the text where it says he was greatly troubled. And that's in the garden when he was asking God to take this punishment from him, but not his will, but, but the Father's will to be done. So he was greatly troubled and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then people will talk, oh, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Well, I don't know about that. It depends on if you're talking English or Hebrew or Greek and all this kind of stuff, so whatever. But the point is, is that Jesus wept. And the Jews said, and again, here it is, see how he loved him. We have to understand that Jesus was moved by their sorrow. He genuinely cared for their plight. We also have to understand that Jesus knows that the following week or couple weeks that he is going to be crucified, humiliated, beaten, publicly executed. And he's here weeping about them and their problem and their situation and their loss. Even the pain that he was going to face did not keep him from going to them so that, remember, so that they might believe. And he knew that that was paramount because if they didn't believe, then what he was about to do wouldn't affect them. And so I want you to see his care for you. We cannot listen to Satan. We have to remember who Jesus is. He is the eternal son of the Father. 
He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world. We also have to remember how he is, not just who he is, but how he is. He is compassionate, caring, and loving. He is tender and patient and kind. Do you remember what he said? I waited two days, not because I didn't care about Lazarus, not because I didn't love Lazarus or love Martha or love Mary. I waited two days so that y'all, apostles, disciples, and them, I waited two days so that you could see and believe because what I'm about to do is about to be so much bigger than your problem. You can't even fathom it right now. What's going to happen at the end is going to be so much better and so much bigger. It's going to make your current afflictions seem as not worth mentioning, Paul says, because of the glory that's about to happen. And so Jesus, we have to understand what Satan says about Jesus can't be true because of who Jesus Jesus proves himself to be. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. And John tells us, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So we've seen the problem. We've seen his pause. We've seen his his promise. We've seen the person of who he is. And then finally, as we end for today, and this is where I ran out of peace, uh, we have the power. And so my sub points are all made of C. I'm sorry. So the power of Jesus is firstly seen in his command. Maybe proclamation would be good. I don't know. Command, uh, 1139, Jesus said, take away the stone. And I want you to see this again too. So remember, just, man, you've got to see. So Martha sends a messenger to Jesus, says the guy who's ill is sick, come and heal him. She hears Jesus on the way. She runs out to meet Jesus. He said, if you had only been here, Lord, then he would have never died. Jesus just got done saying, I'm the resurrection. And she's like, yeah, I, I know he's going to be raised. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm gonna, I am the resurrection. Even if he dies, he's going to live. Do you believe this? And then, he, and then they go to the tomb and he says, where is he? Oh, that's where he is? Get the stone out of here. And by the way, this is his power because he doesn't say, hey, would somebody mind, you know, helping me move the stone? What do you guys think? Should, what do you think? Should, should we move the stone? Can I have your opinion? Is, would it be good if we move the stone? No, Jesus is like, get the stone out of here. And then Martha, after all this, this is cool too, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. I mean, in Martha's eyes, how big is this problem? This problem is huge. This problem is so big, it is offensive to other people. That's how big this problem is in Martha's eyes. This problem is so big to Martha, she is not even able to comprehend what Jesus just told her about it. And she's too afraid of the effects to do what Jesus commands. He doesn't ask if they'll take the stone away, he tells them. He understands that there is an odor of death, but it does not offend him. Jesus' commands won't make any sense to our natural senses sometimes. Sometimes Jesus will just ask you to do something and you'll say in your heart, that sounds weird, or I don't want to do that. That sounds uncomfortable. What do you mean I've got to do this? And all we need to do is roll that stone away and allow Jesus to act. And so the second thing that we see here is Jesus' call. 
1140, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then secondly, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I want you to see that both of these are calls to us this morning. The first is believe in me, Jesus, not John. Believe in Jesus. That's the first call. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So the first call is simply to our hearts, and that is believe in him. The second is this, come out. Come out of your grave. Sometimes they are the same call at the same time. Maybe that's you this morning. Now, there's a confirmation that we're given in 41 through 42. It says, so they took the stone away. It was in between the two texts I just read. They took the stone away. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around so that they might believe that you sent me. So he said that. Now, this was interesting too. He said, take the stone away. And before he said anything to Lazarus, he already talked to his father and said, I'm Thank you for hearing me. I'm, I'm, I, I've said this out loud so that, so that these folks could hear, so that they could believe, but I know you always hear me. That's the kind of faith that Jesus has in the Father. That's the kind of faith that we should have in Jesus. And so he openly thanks his Father before the proof is even seen. That's what faith looks like. He trusts that the Father will fix the problem even before there's evidence that the problem's fixed. And then he says... Lazarus come out. In the last verse of this, the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You see, the man who had died was now alive. The man who was called out came out. The man who was bound up in death is now freed to life. Jesus brings life and freedom, even at the cost of his own life. And so on Easter Sunday, we've talked about the problem, we've talked about the pause, we've talked about the person, the power, the promise. Here's the deal. This is what Easter is all about. All of these things. I hope that's why you're here. I started this by telling you the good news. The good news just means gospel, a good message of what? Of our salvation, because the problem we have, listen, my heart goes out to you. I don't have a perfect life, so I'm not up here with cookie-cutter, rose-colored glasses telling you, like, just get over it. What I'm here saying is I understand that there are marriages, there's children, there's finances, there's sickness, there's sorrow, there's disease. Like, I have a newscast too, okay? And I have my own life, and I have my own struggles. I'm not here to tell you that your problems aren't big. What I'm here to tell you and remind myself of, this is, this is, by the way, this is me talking to myself, and you guys are just here in the same room. Here's the main problem, our sin, and we need a Savior. The main problem is that I am dead in my trespasses, and God says the wages of sin is death, and sometimes we feel like Jesus is letting us flounder. Sometimes we feel like his pause is going on way too long, or we're even tempted to say, he must not even be listening, and that's why we're waiting so long. Or if we're really down in the dumps, we think maybe this whole thing is fake all the, all, maybe this whole thing is fake all the, all, all, the whole thing's garbage, because he's not doing what I want him to do when I want him to do it, because his timing is different than ours. And we can listen to Satan who can tell us those things. But the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Martha said, Lord, if you'd only been here, then he wouldn't have died. What Jesus said is, sweetheart, it is better that I wasn't 
Because now you get to tell, not only did God heal your brother from sickness, he raised your brother from the dead. And so after this, this is why the multitudes follow him on the way into to Palm Sunday. This is what they're talking about. They're talking about this dude was dead four days and he brought him back. We thought that there was going to be a smell on him. He came out like roses. He pulled his own stuff off. And then we had dinner at his house because being dead for four days makes you hungry. <laughs> and so the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And so if Jesus had not come to die, we would remain in our own death. Did you know that Lazarus died again? But he's in heaven. And there is a resurrection coming for him again. And on that day when he receives a new body, he will never die. Because Jesus' promise is true. And so he's calling us today, just as he called Lazarus then. He's calling us, he's saying, come out of your grave. Come out of your sin. Unwrap those bonds upon you. Put that old, stinky grave clothes down and live a new life to me. Because Jesus is the giver of life. In fact, he tells us, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he ends that with, do you believe this? His promise comes from a position of power. So I want to end with this. If you're here this Sunday or if you're watching online and you have never received this powerful, personal promise, then today is your day. Because you're not waiting on Jesus. Jesus is waiting on you. And he calls you to no longer pause, no longer procrastinate. He says, I've, I've already went to the cross. I've already taken your sin and your shame and your guilt. I've already raised from the dead. I already have your end written beforehand. And here today he's saying, come out of the grave. And so for you, friend, pause no longer. If you have received this promise, then praise the Lord for this is what Easter is all about the promise of life everlasting from a God who loves you. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, some of us are here today are facing problems and they seem so large, like stones that we can't roll away. We feel as if we are bound in the dark all alone. We need you, Jesus. We need the life you give. We need the freedom that you purchased, the power that you possess. Help us to never lose sight of who you are and what you've done and what you offer for you are the life giver. We thank you, Jesus, that you have called us out of that grave into your marvelous light. It's in your name we pray, amen.